You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. special privilege to introduce Jesus to the nation of Israel. However, his mission was very difficult. They were difficult lot at best. However tough it was, John's mission was to prepare them to receive their Messiah. He prepared them through the repentance of sin. And then John pushed the envelope further. He called upon them to be baptized as proof that their lives indeed had changed. Today, Pastor Dave will be reminding you that genuine repentance always leads to change in behavior and direction. John the Baptist challenged the religious leaders to bear fruit worthy of repentance. Simply claiming to be a child of God because of being raised religious isn't going to save you. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 1 as he begins his message, Grace Upon Grace. John 1 verse 15. John bore witness of him and cried out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So the topic of today's message is grace. Grace is defined as God's unmerited favor. Grace is a word we all love to hear. Grace is something we all love to receive. Without it, our lives are dry and dusty. But when grace comes... Specifically, the grace of God. When it comes into our lives, it transforms us. Transforms our lives into something rich and something beautiful. Have you ever noticed grace is certainly a lot easier to receive sometimes than it is to give? And sometimes we come across those that we like to call EGN. We like to call EGN. I'm an EGN. It means Extra grace needed. As we come into today's scriptures, the Apostle John once again returns his attention to John the Baptist and what he had to say about Jesus Christ. If you remember, we said that John the Baptist is one of the most important people in the New Testament. In fact, he is mentioned in the New Testament no less than 89 times. It was John's special privilege to introduce Jesus to the nation of Israel. However, his mission was very difficult. They were difficult lot at best. However tough it was, John's mission was to prepare them to receive their Messiah. He prepared them through the repentance of sin. And then John pushed the envelope further. He called upon them to be baptized 
as proof that their lives indeed had changed. In our text today, we see John the Baptist's words. And from them, we can see three things that he continues to tell us about Jesus. First of all, he tells us once again that Jesus is eternal. He tells us that Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. And he tells us that Jesus reveals God to us. We've already studied verse 15, and in it, John the Baptist confirms that Jesus is indeed eternal. Look at verse 15 again. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Remember, when we talked about this verse a couple weeks ago, John the Baptist, which is Jesus' cousin, is six months older than Jesus. But the verse declares that Jesus is not only preferred before him, he indeed existed long before John's birthday. John is claiming now Jesus is eternal. The Greek word used for preferred means to prefer one even before another. This reinforces what the Apostle John wrote in the very first part of his gospel. And we studied it at great length. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And we said that the Word is Jesus Christ. He is the Logos. The Word that pre-existed all things. He was with God in the beginning. John declares Jesus is eternal. He was preferred before me, even though he came after me. He's preferred before me. As we look at verses 16 and 17, we're told that Jesus has all the fullness of grace and truth. Let's read 16. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. I like what Matthew and Henry wrote about this. Quote, all fullness dwells in him, Jesus, from which alone fallen sinners have and shall receive by faith all that renders them wise, strong, holy, useful, and happy. I like that. These receivings through Christ are summed up in one word. Grace. And grace can be summed up in one word. Undeserved. Undeserved. Grace is simply God's favor and kindness bestowed upon those who don't deserve it and cannot earn it. Should God ever deal with us as in his truth alone, none of us would survive. But instead, he deals with us based on grace and truth. Why? Because God knew we were all EGNs. He knew that we all needed extra grace. He knew that we couldn't get there on our own. We couldn't keep the commandments. We couldn't keep the law. We will never be good enough for God. We will never meet his righteous standards. He knew that. He knew we were EGNs. So what does he do? He gives us his inexhaustible grace, his continual grace. In fact, the scripture calls it grace for grace, which simply means grace heaped upon grace, heaped upon grace, heaped upon grace, heaped upon grace. Get the picture? And if you've ever worried that the grace of God would run out, 
John is saying here, just when you thought it would run out, more appears. Grace for grace. Paul, when we were studying the book of Romans, I don't know if you remember this or not, but Paul said, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Meaning, you cannot exhaust the grace of God if you embrace the person, Jesus Christ, the Logos, the Word made flesh. Of His fullness, all ha- we've all received grace for grace. Then in 17, he says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. On one side, you have the law. Rigid, binding, condemning, full of all kinds of regulations. But on the other side was God's inexhaustible grace, never-ending supply, always available through Jesus Christ. It's interesting here. Don't think that John is suggesting that there was no grace in the law because there was. Every time a sacrifice was offered and received by God, it was an expression of God's grace. But in Jesus Christ, grace and truth reached their fullness. Actually, the word fullness here means completeness. In Jesus Christ, grace and truth reached their completeness. And this is what is available to us. Let's think about this a moment. Let's dwell on this one word. God's grace. It's unsearchable. It's past finding out. God's grace is the reason he would love and save a wretch like me. God's grace is truly amazing. His grace is help for the helpless, hope for the hopeless. It's healing for the wounded and scarred. God's grace is a bomb for the broken. And God's grace is all you will ever, ever need. One commentator said this, quote, The law was giving on a shaking and quaking mountain, whereas grace and truth were born in a manger. Grace and truth were wrought in a heart of love. Now that's an ancient word, wrought. What does it mean? The idea behind wrought means work. It actually is work produced or shaped by the beating with a hammer. Think about this. God offered his son Jesus Christ to us through sacrifice. He was shaped by beating and the hammering of nails. That wrought work, that wrought in a heart of love. Another interesting point is in Exodus 32, 28, when Moses came down from the mountain with the law. And when he saw what the people were doing, he threw the walls down. And 3,000 people died that day. When the Spirit fell upon the disciples in the upper room at Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. The law kills Jesus gives life. All throughout the scriptures, we read of this amazing grace. All throughout the scriptures, we read of this grace that's available to us. And we know that Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9 says that we're saved by this grace. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, we live by this grace. And we also depend upon God's grace in everything that we do. Paul wrote in Ephesians in 2.7, he said, grace will expand forever. And this is the glorious future that awaits us. Think about this. As Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, he prayed that the Ephesians might know what is their hope 
of calling in God. What is the hope? God has called you to be his child. Do you know what that means? That means that throughout the endless ages to come, and we talked about this on Wednesday night, through the endless age to come, you're going to be dwelling with God in his eternal kingdom. And God is going to be revealing to you all these exceeding riches and all his mercy and all his kindness through Jesus Christ. The psalmist cried out, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high is God's mercies towards those who fear him. Throughout eternity, he's going to be revealing these things that he has given and provided us through Jesus Christ. And you will never, ever come to the end of it. Eternity is not long enough. Eternity is not long enough to clearly define God's grace. Eternity is not long enough to clearly show you all the grace that God has. In James chapter 4, in verse 6, he says, But he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. God gives more grace. He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. The same Holy Spirit convicting us of our compromise will also grant us the grace to serve God as we should. But this grace only comes and is available to those who are humble. Those who have humbled themselves before the mighty hand of God. God resists the proud. Grace and pride are eternal enemies. They are eternal enemies. Pride demands that God bless me in light of my merits, whether real or imagined. If I'm prideful, I demand God's blessing. When you do that, let me know how that works. Grace will not deal with me on the basis of anything in me, good or bad. Grace deals me on one condition and one condition only, on who God is. Grace deals with me on who God is. God gives grace to the humble. It isn't as if our humility earns the grace of God. Humility merely puts us in a position to receive the grace that he freely gives. God freely gives his grace out to whomsoever will. God freely demonstrates his grace and gives it out. So what should we do? We should submit to God. In light of the grace offered to the humble, there's only one thing to do. Submit ourselves to our holy God. This means in order to put yourself under his command, under his rule, you surrender to him as a conquering king. And once you do that, through Jesus Christ, you start reaping the benefits. You start reaping the benefits of that grace, of that mercy that pours out upon you. So we've seen that Jesus is eternal, John declares. We've seen that Jesus is all fullness of grace and truth. And finally, in verse 18, we see that Jesus revealed the Father to us. Verse 18, not, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, has declared him. We know from Scripture, specifically 1 Timothy 1.17 and Hebrews 11.27, that God is invisible. We know that no one has ever seen him. We know that he has revealed himself through nature and through the history of the world. We can see that in Romans 1.20 and Psalm 19.1-6. But man cannot see God himself. However, Jesus Christ reveals God to us because according to Colossians 1.15, he's the image of the invisible God. 
According to Hebrews 1.3, he is the express image of his person. Interesting here. That the Greek word here used to describe, declared, is our word exegesis, meaning to explain, to unfold, to lead the way. Jesus explains God to us. He interprets him for us. We cannot understand God apart from knowing Christ. We're going to come to a scripture in John 3 when Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless a man be born again, he not, cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And I believe this is twofold. And we've talked about this before. I believe unless you are born again, you will not physically see the kingdom of heaven. You will not go to heaven. But also... Unless you were born again, you will not see spiritual things. You will not be aware of spiritual things. And how do we get this thing? By being born again into a living hope through Jesus Christ, who reveals the Father to us and interprets the Father to us and interprets these things to us. <clears throat> Jesus interprets God to us. We can't understand God apart from knowing Jesus Christ. You want to know God? Know Jesus. For he has revealed the Father to us. And the more we know Jesus, the more we know the Father. The closer we draw to Jesus, the closer we draw to the Father. And one of these days, we'll get to John 14. If the Lord tarries, Jesus reveals the Father perfectly. He reveals him perfectly to us. And in Jesus, we can see the Father. In Jesus, we draw close to the Father. Interesting, in verse 18, the word son is first used as a title for Jesus Christ. The phrase only begotten means unique, only one of its kind. And this term expresses several things. It expresses both his eternal union with God in the Godhead and the inexpressible intimacy and love between the two. I like that. It denotes the Son sharing all the Father's counsel and enjoying all of the Father's affection. It does not suggest that there was a time when the Son was not. It does not suggest that there was a time when the Son was not. We already cleared that up. Jesus is eternal. He always was. He always will be. Jesus is and was eternal from the beginning. Remember John's premise that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. This is what John wants you to do. And this is what John has been proven. And we've only gone through 18, chapter, 18 verses. And this is just a prologue of his gospel. He wants you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And by believing in his name, have eternal life. It's interesting that John calls Jesus the Son of God nine times in his gospel. Nine times. Jesus the Son. Think about it. Jesus is not only the Son of God. He's also God the Son. He's not only the Son of God. He's God the Son. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
Maybe today you're wearing a tag that says EGN, extra grace needed. I think maybe we all are. Have you accepted God's gift of grace today through Jesus Christ? Then, do you continually accept God's grace and live by it on a day-to-day basis? Remember the Apostle Paul. Lord, remove this thorn in my flesh. Lord, remove this thorn in my flesh. Lord, remove this thorn in my flesh. My grace is sufficient for thee. God's grace is sufficient for anything that might be going on in your life today. Receive God's grace every minute by minute, every hour by hour, every day by day. Receive His grace continually. When you experience the grace of God on a daily basis, you enjoy the freedom that it brings. You enjoy the loving relationship with our Heavenly Father. Or maybe, maybe you're caught up and you're bound up in an endless list of external pressures. Maybe you're groaning and moaning all the day long because life is a drag. Maybe you find yourself laboring under these burdensome pressures. Maybe you find yourself thinking, I can never live up to God. I can never get to God in my circumstances. I can never live up to Him. Well, if you're thinking that way, it's good because you can't. So accept God's grace. So accept God's grace. If this is you, it's an indicator that you're not operating in the love relationship with God. You've fallen into legalism. God wants so much more for your life. He wants so much more important things for your life. He wants to give you so much more. He wants you to experience His amazing grace, not just for salvation, but for everyday living, for living the Christian life. His grace transforms desolate and bleak lives into rich green pastures as He changes us from the law-bound existence that changed and bounds us into a loving, enthusiastic relationship. God can change your heart too. There is no heart too hard that God's grace cannot change. There is no one that has strayed too far that God's grace cannot bring back. God's grace changes the tears and it changes the guilt of our failed efforts or the eternal thrill and laughter of God himself. It's grace that's freely offered and it's offered by the pleasures of the right hand of God. Have you discovered the deep joy of living in God's grace this morning? Take a few minutes today to consider the amazing grace of God. It's being poured out on your behalf all through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. The more you experience His grace, the more He gives. You are assured. We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. 
You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.